0: Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. GBC's first election programme with party leaders will be live from the John McIntosh Hall on Thursday night at 9.15. Tickets for the live audience were snapped up in under five minutes today. We got an update from James Nisch, who also dealt with a complaint by the independent candidate Robert Vasquez. A joint relief mission is underway in the wake of the devastating earthquake that struck Morocco earlier this month. We spoke to Ingrid Gano, who's there in Marrakech with the Strait of Gibraltar Association. And we paid tribute to lifelong trade unionist Jose Neto, who died aged 92 earlier this week. GBC will rerun archive material featuring Mr Neto on Friday. But first, the Chamber of Commerce has described a changing landscape for businesses in Gibraltar in their publication, which has just been printed. Gibraltar Business Magazine talks about a loss of import duty, a difficult summer for traders, and it poses the question, has Gibraltar reached peak development? We discuss this with the Chamber President, John Isola.
1: Good afternoon, Jonathan, and thank you for inviting me. Indeed, um, and uh, it's interesting to see um, that the economy continues to grow, but there are certain uh, areas of the economy that are doing very well, but there are others that are, that are that are not doing so well. And I think it is important to analyze that and and see, uh, look at the reasons why why that is happening, and trying to address those reasons. That's what we tried to do in the forward of our, our, our magazine, Gibraltar Business, which had, has just um, come out, um, I think, uh, yesterday.
0: Yeah, I've got a copy here. makes for interesting reading. Um, uh, so one of the areas that uh, you think hasn't done too well is sort of Main Street trade. You say it's been a difficult summer and point to the fact that uh, there are 10 vacant premises on Main Street itself and uh, and more off Main Street. Yeah, Um
1: I think it's partly to do with competitiveness, partly to do with uh, people uh moving to online shopping, uh also people going going to Spain, and also that um we haven't recovered our numbers, our visitor numbers uh from uh prior to the pandemic. So, um a stat that that is uh, uh, very recent shows that uh visitor numbers for this year between January and July are still 20% below uh visitor numbers uh compared to 2019 and that obviously uh has a has a, a an impact uh on 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 main street because i think a lot of shops on sure. main street uh depend on those visitor numbers and it's actually um noticeable uh for example on a day that we have um couple of cruise liners good cruise liners last week was a particularly good week and and you know I can speak from experience that that uh, a number of our, our of my um, businesses uh um sh- shops and and bars and restaurants did much better last week and i think that's uh, linked to the fact that we that we had uh some good cruise liners last week and on cruise liners i think we really need to and on tur- tourism generally i think we need to look at why uh, we're not doing as well as we should be by comparison to neighbouring ports, OK? Um, we have a good idea in the chamber as to what needs to be done on that and on tourism generally, uh, and we've been putting that, and will be putting that uh, forward to the parties uh, contesting uh, the election because we really feel that... Um, if there is uh, a decline in retail because of online shopping, for example, we really need to redress that uh, decline with other, uh, concentrating on on improvements in other areas. And tourism would be uh, a, 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 a natural area, especially if we if we manage to secure um, a, a, a beneficial deal uh, post Brexit deal, where clearly there's no controls of the border uh, for ind- for people, um, then. Um, we have a huge uh, potential to to develop that. Um, but just one statistics that for for your listeners, which may be interesting and, and 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 put it into context. And I want to caveat it because obviously Gibraltar has physical constraints. But I think this year we are due to receive one hundred and eighty thousand uh, cruise passengers in the year. Malaga alone in November—that's uh, uh, next, the month after next—will receive 120,000 in a single month. So that that demonstrates um, that we are being missed out by 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 cruise liners, and really. In, in, If you want to set an objective, we have a a berth or two, and we should be aiming to have that berth or two filled on a daily basis. Obviously, there's seasonal changes and so on, where cruise liners don't do the Mediterranean in our winter, uh, for example. But but I think that is that is what we should aspire to
0: So we should look at um, some of the nearby ports uh, and see what are, they, what are those cities doing well to attract those cruise liners and what can we do better uh, and I note that um, both teams contesting this election the GSLP Liberals and the GSD uh, vying for government shall we say both of the teams vying for government have said that they would invest public money to beautify the entry points for Gibraltar uh, so the land frontier uh, they would both uh, improve that and in their last day as government before dissolving Parliament, the GSLP Liberals published plans for a new cruise terminal. Also, uh, what's the chamber's view uh, of the first impression that these entry points give at present, and plans for investment? And, and I suppose, in particular, uh, cruise liners. Given that you've been talking about that, even though I note that by far the most money, the, the biggest market, is the uh, is is the tourists across. By the land frontier,
1: yes, but I think uh, just before I answer your question, I think um, I think the evidence will show that the cruise liner passenger uh, will spend more uh, per head. average per head than than a, and then across uh, frontier visitor.
0: But but the cross frontier market is ten times the size. Yeah.
1: Correct. Um, in relation to the entry points, I think it's absolutely right that we should look good. Uh, at the entry points and, and all, all over Gibraltar, really. Um, we need to be attractive to the visitors and also the local community From will benefit from that. So, of course, we welcome uh, the, the refurbishment of the cruise liner terminal and the land frontier in particular. Uh, and it, in some ways, it's long overdue, although I would say that it's understandable that the land frontier should not have been done, given that we... Uh, don't really know uh, how that is going to pan out uh, if we do have an agreement or if we don't have an agreement. So uh, it's understandable. And obviously, the opening of the tunnel changes all of the configuration down there. So uh, clearly, those are considerations that, that that have an influence as to when you do uh, the the re- refurbishment. But obviously, maintenance is should be an ongoing uh, an ongoing. Uh, a matter they should continue sure. that.
0: Yeah, um, one of the other talking points that uh, the Gibraltar Business uh, Magazine prompted um, is the idea that import duty revenues have dropped from 176 million pounds just a few years ago in 2017, 2018 uh, to 111 million. In twenty one, twenty two, they recovered slightly last year. But why does the chamber think that import duty revenue has dropped so much? Well, um, I think it's
1: part of partly what what, um, what I mentioned earlier. Obviously, uh, import duties levied on goods being imported into Gibraltar. And I think that if you ask every member or anybody else in the private sector, uh, we are generally importing less than we were. Uh, and if that that is that is a uh, f- fact uh, and probably um, available in statistics and the reason for that is what I mentioned before if you have less visitors you have uh, um, people shopping online, uh, people uh, going over to Spain um, and also that the fact that, that, that there are pressures on the cost of living so uh, people, have less uh, uh, money to spend, and and uh, you know uh, it 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 has an effect, and people make sacrifices, and also lots of people now um, acquiring uh, houses with mortgages, so that puts a pressure on on that on their spending. But I think on on the visitors, um, you know, uh, speaking to members and also from my own personal experience, you know, cost of living is also affecting what people are spending. So we have uh, evidence of um, Some restaurants at the lower price bracket, uh, fast food and uh, doing well this year. Um, um, So that just is a a statistic that shows that visitors are that do come are coming and but they're not spending nearly as much as what they were spending uh, when uh, before.
0: And so, okay. so um, let me ask you a few questions as a result of that. And the first is on, uh, given that we are sort of in election, uh, in the run-up to a general election, uh, the Chamber of Commerce believes that the overall impact of uh, the fall in import duty revenue is as much as 10% loss to the government's overall budget, which strikes me as massive.
1: Yeah, it it, it is uh, huge, and 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 it's concerning also in in the context of um, the fact that uh, the government has had to borrow uh, much more than it than it expected to because of of, of COVID, and that's that's the reality. Um, but I think what what one has to understand is that seventy five percent of government revenue comes from the private sector, and the private sector. <laughs> and all the operators in the private sector have to be successful and and succeed uh, in order for the government to sustain um, its expenditure and its investment in capital projects, for example, uh, essential capital projects, if for, for the sake of this community, and that is the chamber's um, role. The chamber's role is to, uh, uh, obviously, as well as the government's role, is uh, the chamber's role is to put across to the government what it, uh, the government of the day, uh, what what it thinks is in the best interests of its members and the economy as a whole. Uh, um, because everything uh, largely depends on on the success of the private sector.
0: Now, in that regard, is the Chamber hopeful that um, whoever is in government come the 13th of October, that that team uh, continues to invest in large capital projects? Is that important economically, or is there another way of doing things? Well, I think,
1: uh, I would imagine that the government is going to be uh, a little constrained in how much it can spend because of the because of the servicing the loans that that we we have, but of course uh, it, it's in the context of how well the economy does. But there are uh, essential uh, capital projects that I think uh, should uh, the government of, that the incoming government should carry out. For example, um, the sewage treatment plant, which I think is 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 the, a responsible capital project uh, to be carried out.
0: OK, and um, on the subject of construction, the Chamber, in its uh, publication, uh, asks, have we reached peak development? Who is going to live in all the apartments that are being built at the moment? Well,
1: I think w- we ca- we carried out an analysis, and you can see that in our magazine, which lists all the pending projects that have been submitted or have been announced to be about to be submitted to the to the DPC, the planning commission. And th- it's an awful lot of, of, um, of projects. And, uh, it, frankly, it'd be great if, 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 if they all go ahead, I, I have my doubts that they all will go ahead. Uh, a lot will depend on, on, on the direction, the future direction of Gibraltar. Uh, also in the context of what sort of Brexit, post-Brexit deal we get. Uh, but clearly, uh, So much construction, um, whilst uh, positive for the economy both in the short and the long term, has also uh, detrimental effects uh, on the community and on business and on visitors. Because you know they're all if if Gibraltar continues or becomes a uh, a huge construction site, that that in itself in the short term. Is negative. We're trying to track visitors, and and also for for, 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 for all of us that that live here.
0: And what about um, Gibraltar's banks? Do you think that they will be able to provide mortgages for everyone who will need one?
1: You know, I I I, I know very little about this, but I would imagine that they wouldn't be able to because of the concentration risk uh, uh, in terms of 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 because we only have, I think, three three. Possibly four banks offering offering uh, mortgages.
0: Okay, you've referred to just one last question, if I may, Mister Isola. Um, you've referred to the fact that you are speaking to uh, the teams vying for uh, to be the next government of Gibraltar. Um, what what's your sort of take on on um, on what the Chamber of Commerce wants from the next government of Gibraltar? What would be your parting message?
1: Well, I think. We've got a we've got an election wish list which uh, we've uh, discussed already with with one of the parties and are due to discuss it with a, with the other um, um, next week. And we have tourism. Well, we have the post Brexit deal and and reaching that your conclusion on that at the top of the list. And then we have tourism because we think that tourism is 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 something that that so much more focus should be. Uh, brought to bear on that and and uh because it's there is a lot of opportunities there especially in the changing an economy that we've we've um just described uh, there are a, a lot of other uh items on the list uh, uh but some of them are not uh, uh you know they're the very detailed so i won't go into them now
0: gibraltar today
2: with jonathan
0: scott we are going to pay tribute uh, to trade unionist and uh, former Transport and General Workers Union District Officer José Neto, who died this week aged 92. He organised the first general strike in Gibraltar's history uh, in support of improved pay and conditions in what became a successful claim for parity of pay for public sector workers, parity with UK workers in similar jobs. And José Neto, of course... Um, Presided over the greatest industrial unrest that Gibraltar has ever known when they took me <laughs>
2: because I stopped the plane you know I put three hundred people you know in the in the airstrip you know a, a, a shop was going to be deported, and I stopped the plane and you stopped the plane and they called the whole police and the uh, so you want well, to a see security the, threat, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've got for, to consider that was that, that was a bit over the top, I, I don't you think, Jose? That. Jose? For, Wasn't that a bit too much going no, into the airport? But situation? the thing is, that if you don't do it, they will do away, and you cannot you no, know, sacrifice, it. sacrifice
0: that. Jose Neto speaking to Clive Gold. Uh, Mr. Neto was 78 um, when he recorded that. Program that GBC programme in 2008. That clip and some others of José Neto will be shown on GBC Rewind on Friday at 9.15 on GBC Television. Carenza says uh, that uh, she was honoured to have him recite poetry, Carenza uh, says, sincere condolences to the family. Lots of condolences coming through. I'll just mention a few of them. Uh, Charlie says, RIP, my friend, condolences to the family. You've been a good fighter. Uh, for workers' rights and a very honest man. Eric says he was a great trade unionist, always a pleasure to meet him and to listen to him speak. John says uh, that José was a true unionist, a true Gibraltarian, and uh, and he will be missed. And uh, Sebastian uh, says uh, that uh, José Neto was an inspiration to him. in in his trade union activity and has left a big void in his heart for many of the trade unionists in Gibraltar. And Christian says he was a true legend. On Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. GBC's first election programme featuring the leaders of the teams, of the two teams hoping to be uh, in government come the 13th of October uh, the morning after Gibraltar goes to the polls on Thursday the 12th of October uh, so our first chance to see Keith Asopardi and Fabian Picardo on stage together uh, that's tomorrow evening at 9.15 at the John McIntosh Hall if uh, you're one of the lucky people who will be there, should be very exciting, uh, if you're not don't worry, uh, GBC will bring it into your living rooms uh, and the man who's made that possible is the GBC Chief Executive uh, James Niche. So a proper good afternoon to you now uh, after uh, helping me to to sort of clarify that it will be live on Radio Gibraltar as well as on GBC Television. Uh, You um, put tickets for a live audience out uh, this morning and they were snapped up and that's uh, I think being tradition but we, we're we very lucky and very pleased uh, that the general
2: public is uh, so much behind the GBC election coverage and and you're right what happens with the, the theatre auditorium is we allocate a number of tickets to uh, both parties and the independent candidates so they will have a number of tickets that were sent to their headquarters earlier this week some tickets for NGOs and then just uh, shy of about 100 tickets that went on to general distribution. I say general distribution and not on sale, Jonathan, because of course the tickets are free mm-hmm. on a first-come, first-served basis. We're very, very strict with the allocation. It's two per person. I was going to say. So this morning already at around nine, we saw a queue. Uh, inevitably, some of those in the queue will be supporters of uh, one side or the other. That's absolutely fine and hopefully uh, general public also coming in and wanting to enjoy the live programme because this is the first chance that people will have to ask questions of the leaders in the first of our leaders programmes. What's the format? So the format is for part one. Again, we've spoken about this uh, before. We draw for everything that was done with the election in the presence of the election agents. Um, Keith Asopardi has drawn to go first. So for the first half hour, um, Keith Asopardi will be quizzed by members of the audience and by our presenter, Rosa Stengo. Then it will be the chance for Fabian Picardo to take questions from the floor and from the audience. And then there's a third part to the programme where they come together for the first time in the night as a right of replies, a chance to go over anything that may have been discussed in the evening or perhaps extra questions which may arise. So part one is one leader, part two is the other. We wanted to give them the space and the time to answer the questions. So again, it's all about helping our electorate, informing our electorate. So half an hour each, I think it's 25 minutes maybe, to answer questions and then they come together for almost, uh, we're calling it, a final round.
0: Oh, okay. So, so they do actually. They 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 communicate their own ideas, but then we see their ideas tested against each other. And there, I suppose, uh, it's a bit more about uh, who can come up with um, convincing retorts. And I remember from the last one that there's always a little bit of sort of spice and and banter. You know, that sort of is also interesting to look at, as well as the policy positions. I was going to say, and some fantastic quotes, no doubt from the
2: da- from the night, but. Also, it is not the leaders' debate that happens on the eve of polling day. And for those who may have downloaded our election flyer from gbc.gi, you may have seen there's almost a pattern to some of the programmes as far as the scheduling is allowed, where the leaders appear on a Thursday in the spotlight. Then next Thursday, the leaders meet the media. So, you know, so Thursdays is like your leaders' night. Mondays and Wednesdays are your debate Days on television, Mondays and Fridays are your debates on radio, and Tuesday is, as you brilliantly hosted yesterday, the Your Questions programme. So there is a pattern to all that, but all that information available on our election posters at Broadcasting House. There's one at John McIntosh Hall as well, if you want to check that out, or download that from the gbc.gi homepage.
0: Have you had feedback from... Uh, I'm sure you have. I mean, I know you're a busy person, but, um, but, but you must get some feedback on on how the coverage is going so far? I think uh, the community is generally pleased with uh, the number
2: of programmes, the variety of programmes we're pushing out, and that's always refreshing to hear from people that they are following the campaign very closely on GBC. If we go back to that poll that we conducted only last week, it seems like it was a month ago, Jonathan, but only a week, we were talking about uh, the fact that um, a huge percentage of the electorate according to the poll, would be following news on the candidates very closely. And we see that with uh, the coverage that GBC is providing, I think, and how people are following that very closely. When you then go onto social media and you see a lot of those conversations, it's very clear that a lot of those lines of conversations are generated from comments which the candidates are making on either Radio Gibraltar or GBC television appearances, and, and
0: you said something when you introduced the the coverage that GBC has planned, which has stayed with me, which is that you, you we'll get a lot of um, of one way. Uh, ideas communicated to us by the respective candidates who want our votes. Uh, in particular, for example, social media nowadays is a way that we, you know, see a lot of and the uh, of those communications. Well, yes. The press conferences, which we're reporting on, and those are, um, you know, sort of where where the teams communicate their ideas. But the only place where you see those ideas tested against other ideas effectively is here no? yes and for example in your questions
2: which you had on radio gibraltar on this program yesterday yes we have all three members from one party and to the independent candidate as they drew yesterday answering questions but it's a chance for the audience to quiz them on those directly when they're here in the studio and it's live. It's almost like no time to think about the answer. And and
0: they did, and, and we, we couldn't, um, sort of, there were, the volume was such that we weren't able to get through all of the questions that the public was was sending in, and and, and some very good
2: questions as well. Which I think is also good for democracy and for our community. Uh, but also, like you point out, there's also the chance for those debates. You had one on radio, we had the first on television, there's another debate on health and social affairs this evening. It's the only place where you see the candidates go head-to-head Head. And one more thing, if I may, because I'm finding the the TV one quite interesting in the, in a new way. Because I think in the past, what GBC has done, there was one seat for the party. Uh, This year, we've extended that to two seats for each party for two reasons. I think one, because there is such a vast array of topics which are being covered that sometimes you just think one candidate might not be across all of them. You may want to field two candidates. And I think what's really interesting in this campaign is the dynamic between the parties but also the dynamic between the candidates Within the party, on yeah. the questions that they take and how they support each other or back each other or not. And
0: I think that's one to watch out for. Who has more confidence to go first and, and, and take the answer? Um, Right, so you've referred to tonight, that's Health and Social Affairs, 9.25pm on GBC Television. Do we know who's appearing for the GSD and who for the GSLP Liberals? Um, I
2: do know because they have to file that in the morning Um, and I'm not quite sure, have we publicly stated that during the week? If we have, I am happy to tell you. If not, I am happy to keep it a secret until tonight. I have no idea what you've been doing with it, but Um, they are under the guidelines, they have to tell us in the morning.
0: Right. Both sides have...
2: I'm not going to push you for an answer, You, you know
0: the rules better than
2: I. Both sides have... Given us the okay. names, um, and it's done so that um, no party can then change their lineup of okay. their candidates coming to the debate programme. Okay, so uh,
0: that's tonight. Then tomorrow night, we're talking about uh, um, the leaders under the spotlight, and uh, that'll be live from the John McIntosh Hall featuring Keith Asopardi and Fabian Picardo, but not independent candidate Robert Vasquez who has challenged the leaders to a debate today. Uh, He's done so claiming that independent candidates are systematically prejudiced by GBC uh, and he believes that uh, his idea of a debate would counter the disadvantage given to him by GBC. What's your response to the independent candidates comments? That Mr Vasquez is
2: absolutely free to invite whatever candidate he may want as part of his own election campaigning. Um, like, for example, we have press conferences from the GSLP Liberals and the GSD, which we cover as as GBC News. Uh, by the way, the programme tomorrow is called uh, The Leaders in the Spotlight. Don't change the titles of our programme. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
0: Not under uh, the spotlight, in uh, the spotlight.
2: Okay, But uh, just to to reply to uh, the comments from uh, Mr Vasquez, thank you for that opportunity. Uh, I sympathise with uh, Robert Vasquez. Uh, I, I think that when it comes to uh, fairness and proportionality, I think GBC is being being extremely, extremely fair. Uh, GBC stands by its policy, which I restate is fair and proportionate. Uh, Also, when you look at the guidelines, Jonathan, I do have to tell everybody that uh, all the guidelines were given to both parties and Robert Vasquez as an independent candidate for consultation prior to publication. Representations from all sides were taken on board. In fact, Mr Vasquez has one extra programme when compared to individual candidates. I do get the point he's trying to push, that the leaders get more, the leaders have more programs because the rules say that you, if you lead a slate of nine or ten, you are therefore hoping to form government. Hoping to be the chief minister. Mr Vasquez on his own cannot form government and that's how the rules are drawn. We cannot keep changing rules as we go along. There was a process of representation, which we took on board and like, and like I say, I think the rules are extremely fair to all sides but one of the things that we cannot do as we go along, because then we would have to change rules for every single person and that's not possible, I think in the interest of fairness and justice, that's what we do, Mr Vasquez as you know had two items on GBC News last night, nobody censoring Mr Vasquez we do fair coverage across the board on radio, television and online Gibraltar Today with jonathan scott
0: there's a joint relief mission in the wake of the devastating earthquake that struck morocco earlier this month it's um it's ongoing of course the death toll stands at nearly three thousand very sad um injuries more than five thousand six hundred according to official figures the epicenter was in the Atlas Mountains, just southwest of Marrakesh. A beautiful, beautiful place, uh, with beautiful people whose lives have been uh, ripped apart in in many respects. And um, there is help on the way, from international um, NGOs and governments and. Uh, Gibraltar is playing its part in that. We've got a team, we've got several teams there at the moment, and one of them is from the Strait of Gibraltar Association, and trustee Ingrid Cano is there. Um, She has sent us this.
3: Yesterday we split the team into units, and they were assigned tasks to different areas up the mountains in places where there's no access uh, for vehicles. The girls from the Caring from Gibraltar, Sonia Fortuna, Jane Wink and Charlie Bishop trekked for miles to reach these places. They provided emotional help over all They provided first aid to many people that had not received first aid and they went into places that are not for the faint hearted. This is a very difficult mission. In a way, we were not prepared to see the devastation and desolation up in the mountains, even though in the main roads everything was under control and organized there's places where villagers with no names and this is what we're doing we're sending aid providing medical assistance and emotional support to all the Berbers that have been left at the top of the mountains and are awaiting aid and this is where we're coming in
0: gibraltar today with jonathan scott If uh, you were watching yesterday, one of the interesting talking points was that uh, Sir Joe Bosano, in answering your questions here in the Radio Gibraltar studio, Sir Joe Bosano confirmed that the Savings Bank is no longer needed for the new stadium project. The GSLP Liberal candidate said he himself was no longer involved in that project. The Gibraltar Football Association had said uh, just a couple of weeks ago, just a few days before the election was called, uh, the Football Association said a consortium of local banks uh, is prepared to provide financing And the stadium is is one of those. Uh, Some people are are all for it. They want a a large stadium uh, that they can uh, enjoy Gibraltar international football matches in. Uh, Joe is not one of them. Joe, uh, not Joe Bussana, but Joe commenting uh, on this story says he definitely... does not think that Gibraltar needs that big stadium, uh, nor does Robert, who thinks it's going to be very expensive, perhaps a more realistic design should be put forward. Uh, Jason hopes that the area can be used for development and education facilities as well, maybe even some clinical spaces to help build a true centre of sporting excellence. I think there are uh, people who are excited about the opportunities that uh, a large new stadium project could bring. Um, But again, Paul is not among them. He thinks that, uh, uh, well, as it currently stands, uh, the stadium desperately needs more small pitches and covered training facilities, uh, and uh, he's not sure that the current design serves the community to its full potential or is is set to help the local grassroots programme